Welcome to the Kingdom Life San Antonio podcast. For more information about Kingdom Life San Antonio, check out KingdomLifeSA.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. Well, welcome, all of you, for being here. Um, you know, with COVID, it's funny. We have to separate everything, and we have fewer people. We have people that watch online, and we just welcome all you guys to come to worship with us. We got to take an hour out of the conference to uh, just worship, so it was great. I got to listen to Josh for about an hour and a half before he broke uh, for his break. And he's, uh, he's, uh, he's unbelievable. When Chuck and I met, I met Josh via Zoom call, from St. Louis, when he was in St. Louis. And, you know, I got off and I remember coming home to Kelly going, I think I met my spirit animal, you know. And uh, I haven't met his wife yet, but I'm sure his wife comes behind him every once in a while and goes, he didn't mean it that way. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm excited about this. You're talking about a kingdom business guy, and all he wants to do is infect you with that. Um, he loves he loves Jesus. He's a follower of Jesus, and I'm learning more and more about him just in the short time that I've been around him and met with him. We had lunch today, so please welcome and honor Josh Talley. I'm excited. No, yes, there we go. Awesome. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely true. That's exactly what my wife does. I was actually talking about that, how, my, how I kind of beat people up, and then my wife comes along and puts Band-Aids on them. But that's just kind of the way it goes, I guess, which is why I think I get along so well with you. So my PowerPoint should be up, correct? And while you're working on that, <laughs> I'll just stall for you. Anyway, um, so yeah, my name is Josh Dolly. I've been doing a conference here for the past few days, and it's been an absolute blast. And I really love this topic, and we're going to talk about an issue that I think doesn't get enough attention when it comes to faith. So just a little bit about my story, while they're pulling that up, please, dear God. <laughs> but a little bit about my story. So I grew up illiterate, shy. Matter of fact, when I graduated from high school, I read at a seven-year level, seven-year-old level, uh, and I was so shy that I couldn't order a hamburger from McDonald's until I was 20 years old. I was not a believer, but I knew entrepreneurship had a role, because what happened was, when I was in middle school, I'd already started a business, and I was making more than my teachers, and I was shy, and I remember a very well-intentioned teacher his name was Mr. Mikowski, pulled me aside and did the whole, son, you got to work hard and apply yourself and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I looked him dead in his eye, and I said, why? I already beat you. <laughs> and he has a master's degree in business, and he had to work part-time, and please understand, this is not derogatory, but he had to work part-time with his master's degree in business at the local Piggly Wiggly store to make ends meet. And I'm 12. So I knew that there was something here that we were missing. And then when I was teaching myself how to read, I was blessed with a surprised little brother, you know. So there was like 12 years between us. He was learning how to read using C. Jane Run books, and I was learning how to read using C. Jane Run books. 
And one of the things they tell you to read when you're learning how to read is magazines because they're written at a sixth grade level. And I'm reading the Forbes 400, and I agree, look, I already understand I'm in a church, right? Money's not the most important thing, got it. But I'm reading the Forbes 400, and I notice something in common with all 400 of these people. None of them have a job. None of them got there by having a job. And as a matter of fact, number one, number two, number five, and number seven dropped out of school. And there were two people on the list who never made it to high school. One only had a seventh grade education. I started thinking, something ain't adding up here. Because statistically, your odds of winning the lottery are better than being an employee and making it to the Forbes 400 list. So I get out of high school. I start my first business. I fail. I start my second business. I fail. And the great thing about failing in business is it increases your odds of success. This is something I really, really want to just drive home as a point. Check this out. If I'm an employee and I get my first job at Burger King and I fail, meaning I get fired, is it harder or easier to get my next job? Harder. Is it harder or easier to advance in that career? Harder. And if I get fired from my second job and I go to work for Wendy's or something, is it harder or easier yet? Even harder. But in business, it's the opposite. In business, if I fail, oh, my business goes out of business. And now I'm in my second business. Are the odds of my success in this business going up or down? Up. And if I fail at this one, the odds of my third one go up or down? Up, up. Just a note for somebody in here. So anyway, I got to my third business. That'll work. I get to my third business, and I'm getting the hang of this, but I'm still not a believer. I'm about 20 years old, 21 years old, and the only reason I'm in business, just being honest as a heathen, right, I'm in business for girls in cars. And I'm sitting down across the table from this couple in their mid-30s. They are believers, and they have a couple kids. And I got their business to the point where they could quit and just raise their children. And they both start crying. I'm like, what are you crying for? They said, we've been praying for something to change. We go to bed every night thinking, is this really all life is? And we wake up every morning thinking, oh man, do I have to do this again? And then I relayed that story to the man who owns the largest chain of bookstores in the country. Like crazy wealthy. Like has a jet for the backup to his first jet wealthy. And he said, Josh, I go to bed every night thinking the exact same thing. I'm like, well, wait a second. Then something else is missing. And then hence becoming a believer. So now I'm a business guy, successful business guy. I become a believer. And I go to the Christian world, right? Looking for my people. Thinking, well, God invented entrepreneurship. It's got to be all over the church. Nope. All I could find, and again, no offense to anybody, but on one side of the Christian world, I found prosperity gospel, the whole turn around seven times, buy a $900 handkerchief, say a prayer, boom, you're a millionaire. And then on the other side, we had poverty gospel, where money doesn't matter, just make sure you give 10% on your way out. And I thought, what happened to the gospel? How can we have a book that says this book is for all instruction, and it doesn't tell us what we're doing 50 hours a week? With the exception of maybe some out of get debt thing, but whatever. 
So I'm thinking, well, that's crazy. I have to fix this. So that's me in the middle when I had hair. Notice how long ago I had to find a picture to make that happen. <laughs> On a side note, I started losing my hair at 19. And people always ask me, Josh, did that upset you going bald so early? I said, nah, that was just God's way of making it fair to the rest of the men. <laughs> kind of like, Josh, I see you got a little uh, salt and pepper going on. I'm like, no, that's cinnamon and sugar. Anyway, so I write my first book, Quit Your Job or Die. I'm like, that's it. Somebody's got to point out the obvious problem in the room. <laughs> so I write the book, and the plan was to change the title later, right? That's kind of common with books. You write it. Then once you're finished, you're like, now what should I call it? By the time I got done, I realized there's not a better name to call it. Because you're five times more likely to have a heart attack Monday morning between 6 and 10 a.m. than any other day of the week. Yeah. As a matter of fact, doctors will tell you, cortisol stress hormone levels in your children start happening around middle school. By middle school, they're already fearing Sunday afternoon. About Sunday at sundown, your stress hormones start rising because you fear what's happening tomorrow. Now, just as a side note, have we all heard that life's like a roll of toilet paper? The closer you get to the end, the faster it goes. Well, I talk to a lot of people. I get to talk to about 100,000 people a year, which is a blessing, right? But I've noticed that when I talk to 90-plusers, 90-year-olds and overs, they tell stories and they say, son, that was a long long time ago but then when I talk to 70 and unders they're like you better enjoy it because it goes by so fast I'm like wait a second what happened between these people and these people well have you ever called in sick to work when you're not really sick do you notice how enjoyable that day is you wake up a half hour later, take an hour-long shower, go to the mall, shop, meet your sister for lunch, not even noon yet. You take in a matinee, kids aren't even out of school yet, decide to get your nails did, and then you decide to go home, take a nap before the kids get home, and you're like, holy cow, that's awesome. I got a lot of day in today. Well, that's how life's supposed to be. That's what being an entrepreneur is. But when we're an employee, we start hating Sunday. We wish away Monday. Oh, it's Wednesday, hump day, we're almost there. We're living for Friday. We even have songs about it. So your life is really lived. All of your life's good memories are really lived between Friday at 5 and Sunday at 5. Which means in your 70 years, you lived about 10 years. That's why life seems so fast. Well, that's not biblical. Not only that, employment causes diabetes in women if you work overtime. Employment is the number one cause of heart disease, stroke, cancer. I had a doctor on my show. I host a talk show. I had a doctor on my talk show once, and I said, Doc, what's the number one cause of death? Stress. Okay. Then it's just an if-then equation. What's the number one cause of stress? Employment. So then employment is the number one cause of death. Not kind of. Not only that, if you have a two-income household, 
People with gray on your hair, you know exactly I'm telling the truth. If you have a two-job household, and I'm not trying to be sexist, I'm just, this is the way it is. Your odds of teen runaway increases, teen drug use increases, teen pregnancy increases. This is dangerous stuff. But it affects divorce rates too. So in 2010, divorce rates were 50 to 60 percent. 2020, 39. Or at least pre-COVID, after COVID, we'll have to see. <laughs> but, well, Josh, that's great news, right? Divorce rates fell. No. The reason why that's not great news is because the 30 and unders aren't even bothering getting married. They know marriage fails so often, I'm not even going to do it. So I started looking at the top four reasons for divorce. Communication, sex, money, and infidelity. Now, I'm looking at communication thinking, well, why is that a problem? Well, because we only spend 49 minutes together as a family. Oh, that was a few years ago. I mean 34. So, you take out kids, the average husband and wife only have 19 minutes of alone time together every day. How are you supposed to have good communication in 19 minutes? You can't. Which is why, and no offense to the authors who write the books, I know some of them, they're great books, but that's why this generation, if you're alive, I'm calling you this generation, this generation needs the five love languages, pillow talk, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, right? We need a complete stranger who's never met us to tell us how the person we're sleeping with thinks. Why? Because we're not spending time together. Why did grandma not need that book? Why did great grandma not need that book? Why did every other woman back to Eve not need that book? Because they spent time together. When you were a little kid, grandpa would get mad, go off to the barn, play with his tools. Grandma would say, don't worry about it, sweetie. He'll be back in 20 minutes and apologize. Nineteen and a half minutes later, who walks in? Grandpa comes over, rubs your little head. I'm sorry, buddy. How'd grandma know that? Because she knew grandpa. See, this message, I am not going to give you a Ferrari and a G5 message. I'm going to give you a message that we've been ignoring, and because of it, it's been destroying. Number two, 19 minutes. Number three. <laughs> If you can't make number one work in 19 minutes, you ain't making number two work in 19 minutes. <laughs> Just saying. We've heard that men are like microwaves, women are like crockpots. You can't cook nothing in 19-minute crockpot. <laughs> and as crazy as this sounds, as crazy as this sounds, in all seriousness, if you ask marriage therapists, pastors, counselors, whoever, They'll tell you that marital relation moments, because I know we have kids watching, between married people are actually on the decline. If you go back and look at documents, books from the 60s, they would say if you're 70 years old and only having sex three times a week, you should probably go see a counselor. Now, if you're 25 years old and having sex once a week, good for you. Something is broken. Number three for real, money. Number three. I'm thinking, you know, I know a lot of people 
I ain't never seen Bob and Sally get divorced and said, Sally, why are you leaving Bob? Well, because he leaves hundreds all over the place. It's never the abundance of money. It's either the lack of money or the mismanagement of money. But we at least have to be honest and say employment. So the top three reasons for divorce, employment, employment, and employment. And then I thought, well, infidelity, that's a heart issue. That's a spiritual issue. That's on you. But then I kept doing research. Well, this is how this works. Two people stand in front of a ship captain, rabbi, priest, pastor, whoever, and they're like, I love you, baby. I love you, too. You mean the world to me. I love redheads, right? Because who doesn't? And this lasts for about two weeks. And then they come home from the honeymoon. She'll put on her face, put on her pretty clothes, go to work with her for a man. She will see that man be decisive, build a dream, make decisions, build a life. Where's the number one place women have an affair? Work. The man goes off to work with her for a woman who will see him be decisive, be a man, build a dream, build a life. She will be his helpmeet. It's almost like that was written in a really big book. Where's the number one place men have an affair? Work. You are statistically more likely to have an affair at work than if I dropped you off at a strip club. Didn't the Bible say flee temptation? So the top four reasons for divorce, employment, 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 and employment. And what's really interesting, I was at this marriage panel, me and my wife, and it wasn't a business thing at all. It was just a Christian conference. And there's eight couples up on this dais, and we're all talking, you know, how do you communicate with your spouse, that sort of stuff. And I just stopped the thing. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I don't know y'all. I just have a hunch. Bob and Cindy, what do you do? Oh, we own a hotel. Mary and Joe, what do you do? We're in ministry together. Um, I don't know. Jane and John, what do you do? Oh, we have a flower shop. Eight out of eight couples were entrepreneurs. I asked the organizers from stage, I'm like, did you plan it this way? And they said, no, we just found the eight most successful couples we could find. Do you know if you're married and working together, you have a less than 1% divorce rate? It's almost like God says, you know what, it's not good for man to be alone. Let's make a help meet and do something together. And then we have this crazy thing where we accept it as normal and even refer to the person at work as my work wife, my work spouse. What is wrong with you? And then we do what? Call the one at home of the old lady. And then we come home from that job, sit on the couch, rag on her for 19 minutes. Why didn't you take the trash out? Why didn't you pick up the kids? Whatever. What you're really saying is, why can't you be like the man I spend my life with? Because her life is spent at work with him. You get 19 minutes, he gets 40 hours. And then the kid moves out. I'm telling you, this kicks like a mule. The kid moves out, and you go, I don't feel like I know you anymore. I don't feel like I know you anymore. Do you know why? Because you don't. You built two completely separate lives. The one common denominator left. The only option for a house built on sand is to fall. I'm going to take you with me. Who's saying that? Brother, you are coming on tour. 
Suicide now kills more people than traffic accidents. What's the number one cause of suicide? If you don't know, rhymes with honey, starts with an M. Uh-huh. But let's pretend money's not important. See the problem? This is literally a matter of life and death. And we're pretending it doesn't matter. Oh, let's not talk about it in church. Not this church. Obviously, they had me here. Thank you. But I mean church, church. Let's not talk about it. We better talk about it because people are dying. We had a guy in the seminar this weekend. His dad's a cop. He said, my dad was saying that suicides were going from one to two a week to five a day because of COVID. We've lost more people to suicide than COVID. Well, let's pretend money doesn't matter. Did God say that? Nope. God talks more about money than he does heaven. Do you? Suicides increased more than 30% in 99 years. If that stat applied to McDonald's, we'd shut McDonald's down. Not being funny. Farmers are dying. We get it. If you're unemployed, you are 72% more likely to kill yourself. But let's pretend money doesn't matter. But Josh, money's the root of all evil. Wrong. The love of money. This is where most Christians would fail third grade English. If I wrote, the love of money is the root of all evil, handed most Christians a red pen, said underline the action word, they'd underline money. I'm a child of the 80s, so in the immortal words of 80s rock bands, what is love? So you have to figure out what love is. So let's replace money with girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. Just because you have to sometimes take things and say, okay, let's do a split test. If you're into statistics, whatever. But we're doing a split test. Let's replace money with girlfriend. How do you know you love your girlfriend? You spend all the time you can with her. You try to get more time with her. You dream about the future with her. And when she's mad at you, it ruins your day. Now let's replace money or girlfriend with money. You spend all your time. Oh, we got a problem. You spend all your time trying to make it. You think about what it means to your future. You try to figure out ways to get more of it. And when it's not happy with you, i.e. debt, it ruins your day. Folks, we love money in our poverty. The first billionaire I met said, Josh, money's like air, dude. The more you have... You don't even think about it. But if I were to choke you, what is the only thing you're thinking about? Air. You're not thinking, I hope my wife goes on to happy life. You're not thinking, I hope my kids... Nope, you're thinking about air. That's it. But we've been lied to. See, the devil only has one trick. He only has one trick, and this is it. Certainly he didn't mean... That's it. That's all he's got. Eve, certainly he didn't mean. Jesus on the temple mount, certainly he didn't mean. Well, love of money means I'm rich, certainly he didn't mean. I've met way more poor people who love money than rich people. 
but, but money's not important. It's not important. I was at a Christian men's conference. And I said, okay, Christian men, how many dads in here? Raise your hand. And I said, okay, dads, let's say your daughter comes home with tattooed Timmy and says, Daddy, I'm in love. What's the first question you ask that cat? What do you do for a living? Mr. Money's not important. What's the second question you ask him? How much is the wedding going to cost me? What's the third question you ask him? Where are you going to live? By the time you get to question 12 or 14, son, do you walk with the Lord? We have been lying to ourselves. Straight up lying. I'm a child of the 80s, Gordon Gecko. But we've been lying about greed too. We have been twisted on so many words. I had this guy call my show once. I think he called from Atlanta. He calls the show and he says, Josh, man, you're always talking about business and free enterprise. And man, that's just, that's just greedy. I make 78 grand a year. I'm comfortable. I got mine. Man, you're just greedy. My response to him was, you greedy, selfish pig. Because all I heard in your sentence is, I got mine. Let me take you to the children's hospital, introduce you to little Sally's sundress who needs a $200,000 rape operation. You look her in the eye and say, ah, oh, sweetie, I got mine. I should be able to drop a billion dollars in your pocket. You cry out to God and say, God, it's not enough. You can even go to work and do a test. Ask them. Ask somebody at work. If you got a 10% raise at work, what would you do with it? Oh, man, I get new wheels for the truck. I get a new flat screen. Let it go for about two weeks so they don't know something's up. Go back to that same person and say, hey, I see that Powerball lottery's up to 300 mil. If you get 300 mil, what you doing with it? Oh, I'd get a private nurse for my mom. I'd, I'd build a children's hospital. I'd get... So wait a second. When you had just this much, it's all about you, you, you. When you have more than you need, you're thinking about everybody else. Every single person I've ever met feels that way. Yet you've been taught that, oh, the rich person's greedy. So don't make me rich, God, because I might be greedy then. Money's a weapon. Oh, did I upset her? I'm sorry, sweetie. Actually, she's saying, yes, brother, preach. <laughs> but we've been lied to. We've been lied to on what greed is. We are presented in the media maybe 10 rich people. That's it. Do you know there's 14 million millionaires? Are they greedy? I don't know, St. Jude's doesn't charge anything. Are they greedy? I don't know, the shoe bank in Chicago doesn't charge anything. Are they greedy? I don't know. You see what I'm saying? And the fact that you thought, well, if I get a lot of money, I'm probably greedy. That's a problem. I know people who live on 10% and give away 90. Now, the 10% happens to be 50 million a year, but... <laughs> They still give away 90. 
You see what I'm saying? Who controls you and your church? Again, not this church, church. Who controls you and your church? We love to say, well, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's leading us. I don't, why, I don't know why I make all the dumb people sound Southern. I am really sorry if you have a Southern accent. <laughs> but I'm noticing that about myself. Anyway. <laughs> but who controls your church? Well, the Holy Spirit. Really? Let's just check. Let's just check. I'm going to go to Uganda on an eight-month mission trip. Does God want you to go? Well, of course. Well, then let's go. I can't. Why? Can't get time off and I can't afford it. Oh, so God didn't make this decision. Your boss did. Most churches today are not controlled by God. They're controlled by the bosses of the congregants. Which, let me just bring up something else while I'm at it. You've heard the term unequally yoked? And we're like, oh, that's a marriage thing. Don't, don't marry somebody who's not a Christian. You know a yoke is a work term? I get we're two generations away from ox. I get that. But this is how this works. You have two ox that are plowing a field. They're yoked together. If they're unequally yoked, do you know what happens? One ox breaks the neck of the other ox. So I get you checked if you were unequally yoked to your spouse. But are you unequally yoked to your boss? Is he a believer? Is she a believer? Did you even ask? See, I get this all the time. Josh, Josh, pray that I get a raise at work. Pray that I get a raise at work. Well, are you working for a believer? I don't know. Then you're selling me on the idea that God is going to bless your boss in his sin just to give you a raise? How's that work? You know what greed actually is? Greed is putting things of lesser importance above things of greater importance, whether it's money or not. You can be greedy with sports. I know a lot of men who will watch eight hours of ESPN dun -dun -dun, dun -dun -dun, and spend 12 minutes with their kid. That's greedy. Let me give you another one. Oh, we love our church family. We love our real family who live by us. We love our children's schools. But I'm going to move four hours away for six more dollars an hour. That, by definition, is greed. Work versus prison. Because sometimes we need to realize that we're about as free as a free-range chicken. When you're in prison, you can get personal phone calls. You can't at work. When you're in prison, you can have visitors. You can't at work. When you're in prison, you can go outside and play. You can't at work. When you're in prison, you can have conjugal visits. Try that at work. In prison, they give you a Bible. Well, Josh, Josh, at, at, at least at work I get to go home too. You can in prison. It's called work release. Like, we have got to get a grasp of this. 
Yeah, but Josh, God wanted me to have this job. Ooh, I'd be careful there. I'd be careful there. Well, Josh, you don't understand. I applied, 400 other people applied, and I didn't have all the qualifications, but the interview was a breeze, and somehow they just picked me, and it was God-ordained. Hallelujah. No, wait. Doesn't the Bible say that he will use all things to his glory? So let's replace job, and let's use murder. Let's say Chuck's not a believer. He murders me. I'm dead. Chuck goes to prison. While in prison, the prison ministry ministers unto him and saves his soul. Are angels in heaven rejoicing? Yes. Can we make the argument that God wanted that to happen in order for him to get saved? No. So let's go back. Well, Josh, I'm supposed to be employed. I got this job. It was just a miracle. That means you need to sell me on the fact that God wants you in the number one place for temptation, number one place for divorce, number one place for heart attack. I thought you were the temple. Number one place for teen pregnancy in the home. What book did you read? How much do you need? We're going to skip through this real quick, real quick, for sake of time. Four out of five people are at or near poverty. $13.2 million in debt. Uh, real debt is actually 2,000% what they're telling you it is. Um, more than 40% of Americans can't afford stuff. Half Americans can't afford basics like food and rent. Oh, we didn't get a raise under Obama. Well, you didn't really under Trump either. Uh, millions of Americans are just one paycheck away from financial disaster. Can we admit money's not important as the most important thing? Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. But can we admit if you're willing to leave your wife in a nice warm bed to go make money and you don't have any, you lost. <laughs> One in two people don't have $500. Not 500 grand, $500. If you're over the age of 21 and you're working and you don't have $500, forget millionaire, something's wrong. Does that make sense? Debt, 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 debt. You got it. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Back to train up. Many middle class Americans plan to work until they die. How is that the plan? No offense to financial planners, but do you know what one of the first questions a financial planner asks you when you start setting up accounts? How quick do you plan on dying? Because we have to plan the glide slope for that money to last until you kick it. That'd be like getting on the Titanic. And they hand you the life jacket and say, you're going to need this in two days. <laughs> Many people over 55 are going bankrupt. Do you know why? The other thing your financial planner didn't talk about. Well, I got my Roth, I got my 401k, rule of 72. We'll cover that in a little bit. You didn't plan for divorce in that equation, did you? What happens when you have a 60% divorce rate? And you saved up a million dollars. I did today what others won't, so I can do tomorrow what others can't. And then half of it goes away. Oops. Yep. Social Security expecting to dip into reserves this year. Growing old is getting more expensive. A nursing home today costs five to $7,000 a month. 
a month. So what's the, what's the hope? Grandma croaks quick? That means if you have two parents in there, that's 16 grand post-tax per month. So you're like, I make a lot of money. I make 300 grand a year. Sweetie, that's called broke. 250 grand a year in America is now considered affluent poor. What do you do? Shoot her in shoot her parents? <laughs> what happens if they live? Let's fast forward a little bit. So I wrote an article a while ago and it blew up. It went everywhere. And I started thinking, wait a second. They keep telling me on TV, $18,500 is poor. That's poverty. I know people making 32 six who can't seem to find two sticks to rub together. Where did you get 18.5? So I decided to do the math myself. These are all real. They're in my book. I didn't bring any books to sell you. That's not why I do this. But I did source all this if you're like, I don't know if that's true. Just chill. Housing, $1,000 a month. I hear around here, that would be a dream. Car insurance, 144. Cell phone, 73. I don't know who has a $73 cell phone bill. Like maybe cricket users or something. Utilities, 264. Cable and internet, there's nothing wrong with cricket. Cable and internet, 100 bucks. Food, 332. Gas, 220. Car payment, 466. Savings for retirement, 385. Stop. That's already a pipe dream because one in two people don't have 500 bucks total. Keep going. College loan payment, 575. Life insurance, 33. Health insurance, 402. Nothing on that list would be considered greedy, even the most devout Southern Baptist church. There's nothing on that list that counts as clothes, so I hope you live someplace warm. Not this warm, though. What is wrong with you people? On my drive-in, I saw Satan selling lemonade. It is hot here. I left dinner last night at 945, and the thermometer in the car said 104. No joke, just a side tangent. Before this, before this right here, while y'all were doing worship, I spent 20 minutes in the walk-in freezer. I really did. There's a picture of it. Y'all are hot down here. Anyway, <laughs> do you know how much that adds up to? 70,000 bucks. 70,000 bucks. I was given this presentation in Seattle once, and this guy flew into town just to meet me. He says, Josh, I've owned a series of CPA firms for over 30 years. I read your Practical Poverty article, because it's a whole article, it's not just that. I read that article, and I had to meet you in 30-plus years of doing this. I've never read a more accurate piece of personal accounting. You know what the problem is? Most college degrees don't even pay that. So now you're going into debt to, to get a degree that won't even make you broke. How does that make sense? Something else about college degrees. Man, I love when they... <laughs> so I speak a lot, right? And sometimes they're like, don't say this, say this. When they're like, man, you just say whatever you want. When you're done, you're done. I'm like, okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> one of these other things about college degrees and education, and I know there's kids in here, kids stay in school. Okay, now, the reality is 
that when I was a kid, they used to air an ad that said, well, if you have a college degree, it means a million more to you over the course of your career. Remember those ads? Those ads went away. Do you know why? They were a lie. They found that your odds of being a millionaire are higher if you have a 2.7 GPA or lower. Yep. Because A students work for B students who are managed by C students and D students own the company. Seriously. Vanderbilt University. I'm not making this stuff up, man. Vanderbilt University did a 10-year study on valedictorians and those second place people. And they did this 10-year study and everybody was thinking, well, we're going to find prosperity, happiness, wealth. Nope. They found divorce, bankruptcy, poverty, drug use, and alcohol abuse. Because those A students wanted to replicate an answer and get a result. Am I telling? No, I'm not getting a break yet. Rashad, do not tell me that. I'm just going to go a little bit further if y'all are cool with it. Because this, this is wrapping up someplace. So I'll, I'll skip, I'll skip, I'll skip. Skip, 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 Okay. Skip, 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 skip. Oh, I know, it's sad, isn't it? Okay. Here's what you have to realize, though. There's no such thing as get rich slow scheme. Wait a second, Josh. Did you say that backward? No, I did not. Nobody has ever gotten wealthy slowly. Ever. If you made $250,000 a year and kept every single penny, no tax, no expenses, do you know how long it would take to be a billionaire? 4,000 years. So, is Jeff Bezos 2.9 million years old? Or did that happen quick? Yeah, but my mama said, your mama lied. That's why one in, five, one in two people don't have 500 bucks. She didn't lie on purpose. She was lied to just like I was lied to, just like you were lied to. And here's the problem. And then I'll end with this. We're missing the number one opportunity to evangelize when we ignore this message. I'm really serious. When all we have in church is some sort of get out of debt thing, we're making the problem worse, not better. And please understand, I'm not trying to trample on toes. I'm really not. But I'm sick and tired of people who've never been entrepreneurs becoming financial gurus because they got out of debt once and now they wrote a book about it. That's not how business works. So this is how business works. When you realize you're in debt, are you 18 years old? Nope. You're 45 years old thinking, man, I got to do something. So you do the program, you eat the beans and rice, you get a second job, you sell the jet ski, and yay, you magically get out of debt. Let's ignore the fact for a second that more job means more odds for divorce, death, teen pregnancy, teen drug. Forget that. Ignore the fact for a second that God would rather have you in debt, living in the wilderness with your wife, with your kids, teaching them the word of God, than leaving them and seeing them 19 minutes a day. How do I know that? Because God wrote a book about it called Exodus. So we have to admit... <laughs> we have to admit... That I am equally opposed to debt. Please understand me. I'm not saying, oh, you 
should be in debt. That's not what I'm saying. But that can't be the focus of success. Because what happens is, that happened. Boom, you're out of debt. You call the show, yay, I'm back to broke, which is weird. But anyway, I'm back to broke. You didn't change how you make the money. So now 10 years go by. Inflation is eating you away. That's what all those other slides were. Inflation since 1870, since 1871 has been 10% a year. Not kidding. And if you have gray hair, you know that. So now you're 55 years old. You didn't change how you make money. Now you're back in debt. But this time it's not concert tickets and jet skis. It's medicine and health care. So can you cut that? Nope. Not only that, 55 years old, old. Is it harder or easier to eat beans and rice? Harder. Is it harder or easier to get a second job? Harder. So you didn't fix the problem, you just kicked the problem down the road so you'd have to fix it again. And that's why 7,000 churches a year are foreclosed on. There are more bankruptcies in the church than out of the church even though we all did the plan. And because of that, we're missing the number one opportunity to evangelize. People ask me all the time, Josh, why is it that we don't see miracles like they see in Tanzania? I have a buddy who went to Tanzania. Dude has no foot. They pray for dude with no foot and poof, foot. Why doesn't that happen here? Because it's not our hurt. We have the ability to make feet that work better than our feet. You know those dudes with the little U feet? You know they can't compete in the Olympics, right? Not because it's unfair to them. It's unfair to the other, everybody else. Because they can run farther, jump higher, and don't get tired. You know we can regrow an entire retina? You know Rush Limbaugh is stone deaf? He lifts up a little flap behind his ear, plugs himself into the computer so he can hear you? And I think God gave us the ability. I'm not trying to take it away from God. But that's not our hurt. Our hurt is financial. Well, what did Jesus say? Jesus fed them, then he preached to them. He healed them, then he preached to them. He met their physical first, then gave them the supernatural. He even said so. What good is it to send a brother out and say, bless you, and don't give him a coat? He said, if you don't understand the earthly, you're not going to understand the heavenly. But what do we do? We have a situation where people come to the church, whether person or building, and say, help me. Help me. I'm dying thinking about committing suicide, having to talk to my kids because we're separated. I'm on wife number four. Help me. And we say what? Oh, just wait, do what you do. Just slap a cross on it. You'll be fine. Well, wait a Mr. Mr. in the world but not of it. Why are you telling me to make money the way the world does? There's four types of people. You need to get this. There's four types of people in the Bible. None of them are entrepreneurs. I looked in this, or employees. I looked in the strongs. It's not in there. You have four types of people. Masters, laborers, servants, and slaves. Where'd my little towel go? Hold on. I call it my T.D. Jakes towel. Four types of people. Master's the rich guy on the top of the hill. We know what he's up to. He's rich. Slave. We know what he's doing. He's captive. He doesn't have a choice. But that leaves us too. The book of Matthew 
tells us you cannot, not that you shouldn't, not that it's a sin, not that it's a na-na-na-boo-boo. It says you cannot be a servant to God and money. You will love one, hate the other, hate one, love the other. So just like we needed to figure out love, just like we needed to figure out greed, we better figure out what being a servant to money is. Because if he tells us we can't do it, that means he gave us a choice. Let that sink in. A servant had a 10 to 12 hour day. A servant started their day when the master said so. When do you have to go to work? A servant couldn't go home until the master said so. When do you get off work? A servant could save up enough money and buy his freedom. It's from Genesis to Revelation. Today we call that retirement. Baby, if we could just save up enough money. A servant could go to the city gate, put an all through his ear, take his master's mark, and be his for life. Today we call that tenure and pension. Employment is serving money. And if you don't believe me, if they stop paying you, would you keep going? That leaves laborer. Laborer is what you're actually called to do. Laborer, Jesus uses the parable of a laborer. The first two dudes are in the field. Don't email me. I know Jesus didn't say dudes. First two dudes are in the field. Second two dudes show up. The, guy, the last two say, hey, wait a second. Why are, why are they getting paid the same rate they're getting paid, right? And it's a parable about he who comes to salvation later in life gets the same heavenly reward as he who is already here. Got it? Great. Awesome. But why did he use entrepreneurship, a.k.a. laborer, to do it? Because the laborer got to say how much. He got to say when he started. He got to say when he was done. He got to say, I'm willing to do it or not. That means the laborer, once he was done, he wasn't beholden to the, the master. He could increase his, his skill set, go down to the Sea of Galilee, fix fish and nets, and be great. And Christianity needs to grasp this message. And I'll finish with this as to why. When you look at the 7,000 churches that get foreclosed on, when you look at the record low tithing since we've kept records, if you look at the record high bankruptcies since we've kept records, there's obviously a problem. And the church has been trying to fix it. We've had marketplace ministries. We've had small business groups. That's not enough. It has to become part of our culture. Our culture. You know, in the Muslim community, nothing against Muslims. Hats off to them. They're doing what God told them to do. In the Muslim community, a Muslim dollar goes hand-to-hand -hand in that community 14 to 16 times before it leaves that community and goes into the general American population. In the Jewish community, it's 10 to 12 times. In the Christian community, it's zero times. Zero. Statistically, zero. Instead, we're like, well, I get free shipping on Prime. Folks, this is how, and again, I'm not trying to be mean. Hats off to you. But this is how a Muslim population of 3% can come into a town and with just 3% dominate the town. Because there is no freedom without free enterprise. And when we don't do it, we wonder why we're losing the culture. 
We try to create the culture in the church. Culture doesn't exist in a church. Culture exists outside of churches. If I were to come to town and want to engage in Indian culture, do I go to a Hindu temple? No. I go to an Indian dance, Indian restaurant, Indian store, Indian party. So culture has to be what's made outside the building, not in it. But let's cover some real quick objections because you're going to leave here and go, well, what about the rich young ruler, right, or something? Let's tackle that. Well, Josh, the rich young ruler, Jesus says that, you know, the, the, I don't know what he said, but it's in there. <laughs> That's usually how that conversation goes. First, notice how he points out one dude. He just points out one dude. That's, he never said, all rich people, come here, I got to tell you something. And if you look at the story, this rich young ruler comes up to Jesus. And he says, Rabbi, what must I do to get into heaven, eternal life? Well, you have to sell everything and follow after me. Is that how that story went? Nope. He actually did a heart check with him first. Well, are you doing the commandments? Yes. Are you doing this? Yes. Are you doing... Oh, I got it. Rich man, you're finding your identity in your wealth. That was the problem. So give up your identity. He was like the Kim Kardashian of 33 B.C. or A.D. So stop getting your identity from your wealth. Give up your identity. Pick up my identity and follow me. Because notice how he never again says that. He never says to Nicodemus, hey, dude, well, you're not going to get in, you're rich. He never says to Peter, Peter, go into town, ask for money, and when they're rich enough to give it to him, kill him. So this was one story. Grab the context. The Bible says it is God who gives the power to create wealth. That sentence doesn't stop there. The sentence keeps going. As a sign of my covenant. How many of y'all hoping when you die, this is still a God who keeps covenants? And I'm not saying rich. Chill out. What I'm saying is you control the money instead of the money controlling you. You empower the body. Does that make sense? That's what we have to do. That's the message. That's what we have to be a part of. That's why I wrote Evangelpreneur in the first place. That's why I'm going from church to church building an Evangelpreneur community. Because I want you to do this. I want you to be facilitators. I don't want to be the only dude up here talking about this. I want everybody talking about this because this is how you build culture. Does that make sense? God bless you and thank you so much for letting me spend some time with you today. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Don't forget to check out our website at kingdomlifesa.com for more podcasts, updates, and events, or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Have a blessed day.